0: Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's Precious Metals News. It's Friday, August 6th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Man, oh man, I wish my words had as much power as some of these guys over at the Fed. I mean, heck, half the time I had a hard time getting my kids to even listen to me, but a Fed official can move markets with just a little bit of blah, blah, blah. Gold spent most of the week solidly above $1,800 an ounce until Fed Vice Chair Richard Clarita started running his yap on Thursday. In fact, gold had a solid rally after we got the ADP private sector employment data. It came in way lower than expected. I mean, way lower. 330,000 jobs added versus 700,000 jobs expected. But then here came Clarita saying the central bank will probably hit its economic targets by the end of next year and start raising rates again in 2023. He said inflation is tracking to meet and exceed the Fed's 2% goal. Gee, you think, Rich? And he went on to say, quote, given this outlook and so long as inflation expectations remain well anchored at the 2% longer run goal, Commencing policy normalization in 2023 would, under these conditions, be entirely consistent with our new Flexible Average Inflation Targeting Framework. Clarita's comments sparked a dollar rally, and that erased the gold rally. This morning, as I started show prep, we were back below $1,800 an ounce as everybody breathlessly awaited the July jobs report. Now, if you listen to the show regularly, you know why the vice chair's comments are, quite frankly, absurd. I was especially amused that he used the words policy normalization as if maybe raising rates in over a year somehow reflects normalcy. This ain't normal. And ticking interest rates up 25 or 50 basis points in 2023 won't make it normal either. But stop and think about this. This guy talks and people start selling gold and buying dollars based on something that may or may not happen, like 16 months from now. Meanwhile, the abnormal policy that is creating this massive inflation surge will continue unabated. And people bought dollars. Dollars that will keep devaluing. You know, it's really pretty crazy. And we got yet more data this week indicating that inflation isn't transitory. Over 85% of manufacturers reported increasing prices in July in the most recent manufacturing ISM report. At some point, producers will have to take steps to mitigate the impact of rising prices. That means passing costs on to consumers. Cutting costs, or some combination of the two. If they raise prices, the move I think most companies will ultimately take, it will push CPI up even more. That's why Peter Schiff has been saying we could see an even bigger jump in CPI as we move through the last months of this year. And of course, if companies just start trying to cut costs, well, that's going to undercut this so called economic recovery. We also got the July ISM Services Index data, also showing prices rising at the fastest pace since 2005. So doesn't look all that transitory to me, which actually makes Clarita somewhat credible. In fact, in a sane world, I think the Fed would be taking some steps to take on inflation right the heck now, not talking about maybe doing something more than a year from now. But they're not going to do anything, and I'm not at all certain they're going to do anything in 2023. But of course, that's a long way off. I've talked about this a lot, so if you want to hear more about why the Fed isn't about to tighten monetary policy, you can go back and listen to last week's show. I don't want to rehash all of that again. Today, I want to focus a little bit on this so-called strengthening economy. Let's start with the Q2 GDP. I mentioned it in passing during the show last week, but I didn't dig into the numbers. It was a big GDP miss, and I don't think it's going too far out on a limb to say that it could be an early warning sign of impending stagflation. GDP came in at 6.5% annualized. Now, that was a huge miss, like I said. On its own, 65 is a pretty solid growth number, but economists polled by the Wall Street Journal expected annualized GDP to chart around 9.1%. This was a huge miss, and it indicates the economy isn't growing nearly as fast as everybody assumed. So, looking deeper into the numbers reveals an even gloomier picture. Nominal GDP grew at 13%, but inflation ate away half of the growth. So, just to kind of understand the numbers, when they calculate GDP, they use what is known as a deflator to account for inflation. Because, of course, nominal growth in dollar terms reflects rising prices. So, they kind of have to zero out the inflation effect to give you a real growth number. For the Q2 GDP calculation, they assumed 6.1% inflation. Now, that's a pretty big inflation number, but it actually understates inflation. If you annualize Q2 CPI, and that's how they come up with the uh, Q2 GDP number, they annualize it. If, so if you annualize Q2 CPI, you get 9.35%. So if the folks calculating GDP used the CPI as a deflator, we're looking at annualized growth of just around 3.25%. Now, that's still pretty healthy growth, but it ain't booming and it doesn't reflect an economy coming out of a deep recession. But really, it's even worse than that because we all know CPI understates actual price increases. If we had an actual inflation number, it may well show we had an economic contraction during the Q2. In other words, all of this GDP growth could potentially be attributed to simply rising prices. Now, How does this signal stagflation? Well, the definition of stagflation is a situation in which the inflation rate is high, yes, the economic growth rate is low, or slows, that seems to be what we're seeing, and unemployment remains steadily high. Well, yeah. Now, we might not be all the way there yet, but a lot of signs seem to be pointing in that direction. The fact that economic growth already seems to be slowing versus expectations, I don't know, they should probably raised stagflation warning flags. And that's not the full extent of it. Have you ever pulled up a rug and found a bunch of nasty dirt and mold, maybe some bugs underneath? Like the rug looks pretty nice on top, but it's covering up a disgusting mess. That's what you get when you look closely at GDP. You find a shiny economy that's corroded and dirty and rickety underneath. Virtually all of the Q2 GDP growth came from an 11.8% leap in consumer spending. This accounted for 70.6% of total GDP. That's the most ever. It was the first time consumer spending has ever made up more than 70% of GDP. Meanwhile, gross private investment, the part of GDP that sets us up for future growth, dropped by 3.5%. It was the second quarter in a row that gross private investment has fallen. So the growing economy is all based on people spending money. And how did Americans do this? Stimmy money. We had $1,400 stimulus checks that started going out in late March. On top of that, we have extra unemployment benefits. We have big stock market gains. All of this was enabled by the Fed and its loose monetary policy that everybody seems to think is in danger of going away because the Fed vice chair said some words. The central bank printed trillions of dollars out of thin air, and then Uncle Sam handed it to people who spent it on goods they didn't produce. And on that note, I should mention the July trade deficit. It surged to a record high 70.2%. $75.7 $75.7 billion. It exceeded the high end of expectations and surprised the markets. Now, thank goodness the Chinese are making stuff that Americans can buy with their freshly minted Fed dollars. And this is what passes for economic growth. It's not economic growth. It's all fake. It's fake growth. They're faking it. It's a fake recovery propped up by the central bank. Whenever the Fed does take away the punch bowl, ooh, the party goers are going to be pissed. Now, of course, stimulus money only goes so far, right? Late in the quarter, that started to run out. So what did Americans do? They bought stuff the old-fashioned way. They borrowed money. Household debt, surged by $313 billion in the second quarter to nearly $15 trillion, according to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York household debt and credit report. It was the biggest quarterly dollar increase in household debt since 2007. In percentage terms, household debt grew by 2.1%. That was the biggest surge since Q4 2013. Now, household debt in this calculation includes mortgages, home equity loans, credit cards, auto loans, student loans, and then a category they call other debt. With home prices rising, <coughs> inflation, increasing mortgage debt was a big factor in the overall rise of household indebtedness. Mortgage balances increased by $282 billion during the quarter. That was a 2.8% rise from Q1 and a 6.7% year-over-year increase. The quarterly increase was the biggest since 2007. Remember, that was the cusp of the mortgage crisis outstanding mortgages now total more than $10.4 trillion. Now, The good news, I guess, is that seriously delinquent mortgage balances dropped by 0.47% of total balances. That's the lowest in the data going back to 2003. But forbearance for federally backed mortgages sweeps delinquency problems under the rug. At the end of Q2, there were still nearly 2 million mortgages in forbearance. That means people aren't paying on them, but they're considered current. We could see a huge spike in delinquencies and default when forbearance programs run out this fall. Now, mortgages weren't the only source of rising debt. Credit card balances rose 2.2% from Q1 to $787 billion. If you include other sources of revolving credit, that number is close to a trillion dollars. So at least some of that consumer-driven GDP growth was put on Visa and MasterCard. So you'll have to pay the balance later. I don't know. Maybe Biden will give you another STEMI check, right? Now, the mainstream will spend rising credit card debt as good news. That's because this fake-ass economy depends on people spending money they don't have. This is another reason the Fed can't raise interest rates. They need people Spending money. They need people borrowing themselves deeper and deeper into debt. So the pundits will tell you this is great news because Americans are confident about the economy and they're spending again. And yeah, that is one way to look at it. But you could also conclude that since Americans have run out of stimulus money, they've been forced back to borrowing to keep up with the ever increasing prices. In other words, the sudden explosion in credit card spending could reveal consumer stress, not consumer confidence. Surging prices for both new and used cars, (coughs) inflation, pushed auto loan and lease balances higher by 2.4% in the second quarter. It was the biggest quarter-over-quarter percentage increase since 2016. Outstanding auto loans now total $1.42 trillion. With school out for the summer, student loan balances ticked down by $14 billion after a big jump in Q1. Student loan balances often drop in the second quarter. But even with the decrease, Americans still owe $1.57 trillion in student loan debt. That's up 1.9% from a year ago. The seriously delinquent rate in student loans dropped to 5.7% of total balances, which honestly is pretty high. But it wasn't because people suddenly started paying up that the balances dropped. Many student loans were automatically entered into forbearance last spring, and they don't count as delinquent. Wolf Street summed up this debt situation perfectly. He said many consumers stopped making payments without negative consequences, even as free money hailed down upon them because delinquencies are no longer delinquencies but count as current credit scores rose on average and in the process, credit scores have become useless for banks to determine the credit worthiness of a potential borrower after sixteen months of sweeping this stuff under the rug, there is now a huge mess under the rug. And the temptation in the government is to just keep it there and forget about it, or have the taxpayer clean it up, rather than consumers, lenders, and investors. Okay, so real talk here. Ultimately, the powers that be want Americans spending themselves deeper and deeper into debt. It's the only way they can prop up this economy. The Federal Reserve and the U.S. government have built a post-pandemic, quote, economic recovery, on stimulus and debt. It is predicated on consumer spending stimulus money borrowed and handed out by the federal government or running up their own credit cards. Now, you can call this a strong economy if you want. I call it wheat. It's all fake growth. They are faking it. We're not producing anything. We're not investing for the future. This is not sustainable. And what isn't sustainable eventually collapses, right? So, are you ready? This is the point where I highly recommend that you talk to a shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist. You can just call them up at 1-888-GOLD-160. You can shoot them an email at info at As I've said before, these guys are fantastic. They know their stuff. They will look at your personal goals, your portfolio, and explain how precious metals can help fit into your personal investment strategy. So talk to them today. So, my friends, that is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and much more. You can keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week at shiftgold.com slash news. If you're into uh, technical analysis, we've got a guy now that's doing that for us. You'll find that on the page. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap over at iTunes or on the Shift Gold YouTube channel, Stitcher. You'll find links to this stuff on the show notes page. As always, I very much appreciate you listening to the show. And I will talk to you again next week.